Good morning, everyone. Good to see everybody today. You know, we're getting to that time of year again when uh, the sun is our friend, and it also comes in and blinds us from these windows. So if any of you get to that point, you need to drop those window coverings down. By all means, feel free to get up and do that. All right, uh, we're going to carry on in the book of 1 John, chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3, <clears throat> believe it or not, we're going to make progress. We're going to go to the next passage, uh, the next section here. We're going to start reading at verse 11 and then read on through the end of the chapter. And I would invite you, if you're able, to uh, stand with me for the reading of God's holy word. 1 John chapter 3, beginning at verse 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. God adds his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Please do be seated. Well, in past messages in this series, we have already spoken at some length of the errors of Gnosticism. Gnosticism being an ancient heresy that still has adherence today, though they may not uh, use that term. Basically the idea of those that believe that they have a special knowledge that nobody else has, um, and uh, therefore they should be listened to and given credence. And that Gnosticism... Um, particularly had some uh, heretical views of the Lord Jesus Christ, various different views, uh, some regarding whether or not he was actually God, some regarding whether he was actually man or not, and others that he was some sort of a conglomeration, confused something or other in between, as opposed to what we believe the scriptures teach and what the ancient uh, church also held to vigorously uh, that uh, he is fully God and fully man without confusion, without uh, 
diminishing of either uh, uh, nature, but in one person. Well, John seems to revisit that subject. Uh, it, it is something that he has in mind uh, throughout uh, this whole book. He seems to revisit that here in a roundabout way in this section. And I, I get that, that clue from the frequent um, repetition of the phrase, we know, we know, we know, we know, or you know, or uh, God knows, but we know. There is, um, it, it, there's, there's knowledge that's claimed falsely, uh, but there is a sure and certain knowledge. And um, John is emphasizing knowledge in very practical ways that tie in some recurring themes throughout this text. This, uh, this little section here is more complicated than meets the eye when you first just read it through because of the way John interweaves all of these texts, uh, all of these thoughts. Knowledge is one of them. Another one has to do with love, which is a key thing that is repeated throughout this. And also, he carries on from the prior section where we were talking about abiding without deceit. Well, he continues that abiding theme in a little different way, and he ties it all together. Uh, it's a... It's a it's a fact that in spiritual matters, it may be a temptation to think that we really uh, cannot know God accurately. Um, there are those that think, well, we, we can know, we can know everything there is to know, and, and we know and nobody else does. You can't, only I can. And then there are those that just give up and go, well, we can't really know. But John says, no, there is real knowledge of who God is. But it begins and ends with him. He's the one who starts it off. He's the one who guides it. He's the one who brings it to conclusion, not man's ideas. If we really can't know God, if that's, if that's the case, then uh, that should, after all, be a great relief to us. <clears throat> because would that not then relieve us of any responsibility to humble ourselves before him? But that is not the case at all. Uh, we, we do, if we live in that sort of a sense of relief, we are sadly and dangerously mistaken. But that error of, of I, I, either that I know God in a particular way that nobody else does, or uh, I can't really know him, so, you know, what does it really matter as long as I'm close? Both of those are really driven by emotion. The first one can sound actually pretty, I'm going to use a 25 cent word, erudite. All learned and everything. Uh, like we know stuff. Okay. Um, but those, that, that level of knowledge and that seeking it out is still driven by emotion. Um, where we've, we, uh, then come to the scriptures and think, uh, well, I have an emotional response to a particular doctrine. I don't like it, so therefore I'm going to see a text in a certain way. That happens all the time. It's something we all have to be on guard against. But this, this 
this kind of error that's driven by emotion has really created the disturbing reality in the contemporary visible church that many in that church no longer care or know what they believe as long as they feel good about it. All is well. John makes it really clear here that you can know, and indeed must know. Furthermore, he tells you just how that knowledge is acquired. So we have no excuse to be ignorant as Christians in the presence of God. It doesn't mean that we're going to understand everything about his character. We cannot. But we will be approaching him with knowledge in place and having our emotions in check by that knowledge, certainly there should be an emotional response of love and gratitude and joy in his presence. Sorrow on occasion when we sin against him and our consciences are appropriately stricken. Yes, but all of that has to be guided by the knowledge of him that John says that we can have and, 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 and acquire it according to the means that uh, the Lord has provided for us. The world would have you believe um, that you're abiding in Christ. It was, again, that we spoke about the last few weeks and uh, we'll continue to speak about a, a bit uh, here, that uh, that abiding in Christ is really a matter of ignorance or wishful thinking. But uh, biblical Christianity is an abiding relationship that is grounded in sure and certain knowledge. And I hope that as we go through this passage here, we'll see that truth unfold for us. So I'm going to approach this passage a little uh, differently. Uh, It was a bit of a puzzle to figure out how to organize this in a way that would, uh, would bring these things to light because of the way John interwove all of these themes through it. It was not a like, you know, so often with the Apostle Paul, you know, it's this point, then this point, then this point. And for, the, for the preacher, it's, you know, it's easy. It's great. It's like, oh, sweet. Thanks, Paul. Uh, it gave me my outline there. But uh, John is a little more, uh, well, uh, I don't know what, what the word is. But anyway, he's, he's not quite that structured into the Western mind anyway. It's very um, Eastern mind structured, which... It's a little more of a holistic kind of approach to things. So you'll see that, I think, as we go through this. First of all, I want to to point out, and this is launching off the repeated statements of what John says you can know. So we're going to start off with the fact is that you have the capacity to know. You really can know who your God is and what he requires of us and who your Savior is and all of that. You can know. And then as we do some of these things, I'm going to try to resist the temptation to talk about the means for it until it's appropriate place. So we're going to focus, first of all, on what you can know. First of all, verse 11. This is the message you've heard from the beginning that you should love one another. You know the command to love. You ever been in your, sometime in your life, or maybe you know somebody else in this particular circumstance that is seeking for God's will for their life. In some particular decision, perhaps, or perhaps uh, with a broader scope in mind, you know, where am I going? Where am I going to be? What what am I going to be? You know, that kind of thing. Um, So we we sometimes 
wonder, you know, what would the Lord have us to do? And we can fuss and bother and be really, really, really worried about what all these unknowns. When what we ought to be doing is paying attention to what we do know. There's, you want to know what God's will is? Well, I suggest picking this up and starting to read it. (laughs) Because his will is there. And it's written for us. And uh, we were just talking about this with uh, the young people in our communicants class today as we were talking about the law of God. You want a good place to know God's will? Well, start with the Ten Commandments. That'll, that'll get you going. All right? Have only one God in your life. Don't try to worship Him any other way besides the way that He's ordained. Don't use His name in vain. Honor His character and honor His, his titles and honor all that He is. Um, honor the authorities that He puts in your life. Honor the, the promise of provision so that you don't think you have to take all of your your uh, your life into your own hands and provide for yourself? No. You rest when he tells you to rest, knowing that he will care for you as you uh, honor and worship him. Um, you, you know that you are to uh, uh, preserve the life of others, that you preserve the holiness of others, that you're to preserve um, the property of others, that you are to preserve your own integrity and theirs. Uh, that you are to be content in what God has given to you. This is all God's, God's will for you and me. And all of this, the scriptures, as, we, as the kids and I went through today, we summed all of this up in one word. What is that word? What a, what a, if you had one word to summarize all those commands, what would that one word be? Love. Love, love. It all starts with love for God and love for your neighbor. Jesus summed it up that way. And we walk in obedience to that will out of love to our Lord and love for one another. You know the command to love. You know his will. You don't have to walk through life. What does God want me to do? Now, when it comes to a job or a place to live or whatever else, you know, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all those things will be added to you. He'll make known to you, make it plain where you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to do, and all those sorts of things. Love him, love your neighbor, and he will help you sort out the rest when the time is right. You know that command. We don't have the excuse to walk around and go, well, I just don't know what God wants me to do, so I'll just kick back and do nothing. No. Secondly, you know, verse 14 We know that we have passed out of death into life. So this, uh, I I thought of 1 Corinthians 13, speaking of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that that in that uh, death, death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have in Christ, you see what our own own, um, fate is. I don't really like that word, fate. Our own... Um, destiny, promise, where we're going to be is all grounded in his example as he's the first fruits, he's walked the path, he's conquered death and given life and as we are in him, we, we may know and we do know certainly that we have passed from a condition of being enslaved unto death unto eternal life, we have freedom in Christ. You know that you have that because Christ has secured it through the resurrection. You know that you have certain life. 
whereas uh, many in this world do not. And wonder, and even those in the church there are those that, because they tend to be very focused upon what man has to do in order to make God happy, instead of recognizing that Jesus Christ has already done all that's necessary to make God happy. Well, if you're looking for what you can do to make God happy, well, you're going to have a really hard time being sure and certain about your eternal destiny. Because we can't do it. Can't do it. But in Christ, we can know that we have certain life. Thirdly, verse 16, you can, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. Um, you know that you are loved. Uh, I thought also the verse, we love him because he first loved us. The evidence of, of our love is the historical reality of the Lord Jesus Christ in his earthly ministry and in his sacrificial death on the cross, according to uh, all of the prophecies of the Old Testament, of the, what the Messiah would endure for the sake of his people, Jesus fulfilled them all. It's all there. It's a matter of historical record. It, it, there it is. It's not wishful thinking. It's based upon the historical reality of who Christ was and what he did. It, we may know that we are loved. There are many people that walk through life, do they not? Wondering if they're loved. And it's a, a, an incredibly sad thing. I mean, there, there's a temptation, perhaps sometimes, uh, to, to want to say to people, you know, I'll be a little crass here. Suck it up, you know, princess. You know, quit whining. But the fact of the matter is, is that if we're without, if a person's without God, they're without hope in the world, there's a reason to whine. And instead of being contemptuous, we ought to be compassionate. Because they don't know that they're actually truly loved by their Lord until they experience that. Until they experience Him calling them to themselves, they, they have no certainty of that. But in Christ, when he reveals himself to us, calls us to himself, lets us know, yes, you are mine. I've chosen you from before the foundation of the world. In love, he predestined us, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1. You may know for certain that you are loved. And when you look at verses 19 through 21, interesting little mini chiasm going on here. John loves to do this sort of thing. Uh, 19 through 21, uh, he, he says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth. That's kind of the, the um, governing uh, phrase of this little section. Um, how, how do you know that you are the truth? I'm, this is where I'm trying not to get ahead of myself and talk about the how and the means. But uh, this is what it looks like. In that knowing you are of the truth... Verses, the rest of 19 and the second half of verse 21 speak to this confident assurance that you possess. Apart from Christ, you can have no confident assurance that will stand the test of time. Well, there's, we can have our arrogant bravado and we can, we can make that carry on for a while, but when, when the chips are down, 
um, all of our all of our bravado will just be blown away like chaff in the wind. It cannot endure trial and strife and testing. I, I've done many, many uh, funerals in my time and attended many others. The ones that are the saddest to me are the ones where the relatives or friends of the deceased are in absolute, utter despair, wailing and crying and screaming and other things. It just, they're, they're in agony over this loss. And the contrast between that and those who are, are abiding in Christ, I mean, there's sadness. We don't love the, the parting and the separation. But there's no despair. Uh, there's no rage. There's none of those kinds of things. There's no hopelessness. Uh, rather, we know we have a, there's a confident assurance of the, of the finished work of Jesus Christ accomplishing what he said he came to accomplish. And, and, and that's part of knowing that you're of the truth, you, that you possess that assurance uh, appropriately before the Lord. But then as you move in towards the center of this little mini section, um, note the emphasis upon conscience there. <clears throat> in, um, sorry, there, there we go. Uh, when our heart condemns us, um, God is greater than our heart. And then if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. So the the uh, two sides of that, there are times when our heart, our, our conscience will strike us because of our sin. Well, praise God, he is greater than we are. And when it doesn't, we, as we stand before God, we, we had an interesting discussion with the kids this morning. It was great how they just dovetailed with what we're going to talk about today. But we're talking about conscience in relationship to the law of God. And uh, we broke it down. Uh, uh, Charlie brought this up. It was awesome. Uh, when talking about the word conscience, and you put you, you take the two parts of that. Con means with science has to do with the the rules and the, the structure. Your conscience is is going to be in a stable, healthy, good condition, uh, without uh, shame or doubt when you are walking, living with the rules. That your conscience is is uh, consistent with what you say you believe and with what God has required of us. Um, if you're not walking according to the rules, well, then your conscience is violated. You're not walking with the rules, you're walking contra science, contra the rules, against them. And so that's where the guilt and the shame and all that comes from. But even in that situation, when we've violated God's word, we've transgressed his law, he is greater than our hearts. He is greater than us and has made provision of these things. He knows it all. He knows where we're at. And so you in this knowing you're of the truth, one evidence of that is that you have a confident assurance before God of, of, because of what he's done. And you're free in your conscience um, because of your connection to the Lord Jesus Christ. Take a look at Hebrews 9. Uh, awesome verse. 
chapter 9 of Hebrews, verse 14. Speaking about redemption through the blood of Christ in this whole section, and asking the question, beginning at verse 13, that if the uh, blood of bulls and goats and uh, the uh, sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh. Verse 14, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Basically an expansion on what John uh, of John, the idea that John is presenting here. You're free in your conscience because of what the Lord Jesus Christ did so that you can, you can actually stand in the presence of the living God, that's the heart of this, who knows everything and is greater than you and do so uh, with confidence and knows all about us, who knows every intimate detail of our hearts and lives and who sent his son to die for us in spite of that, that knowledge. To demonstrate his compassion, to demonstrate his mercy, to demonstrate his character upon those whom he has placed his love. You and I stand in the presence of God who knows everything. And as we stand in that situation in confidence, with a conscience that is free because of Jesus Christ, then... Yes, that is one of the ways uh, in which one of the one of the areas that we actually have the capacity to know. We can we can know that we actually are standing in the way of truth, and not have to wonder: Is this all worth it? Is this really, you know, all it's cracked up to be? What's is this Christianity thing that I'm beating myself against? You know, am I beating my head against the wall about? Is it really all that? that it's, you know, supposed to be here in the Word, or am I just wasting my time? No, you can know that you are in the truth. And that is something that, apart from God, you really can't know. And, indeed, you get down to verse 24, and uh, of, we're back in First John now, uh, chapter 3. By this we know that He abides in us, by the Spirit whom He has given us. I'll talk about the Spirit's role in a little bit. But this is a part of the capacity of knowledge that you and I have. You can know His commands. You can know that you have eternal life. You can know that you're loved. You can know that you're standing in the way of truth. You can know that God abides in you. That's a remarkable thing. Not every tradition out there that calls itself Christian believes that's true. But we believe that the Scriptures teach this very clearly, that you can know that God abides with you by the Spirit who testifies with our spirit that we are His. Okay, so that's the area of capacity of what we know. And... Uh, the clock back there does not have the capacity for the remainder of this message. So what we're going to do, and I didn't really expect that I would, kind of thought I'd get about this far. So these are the areas that we can know. We live in, uh, uh, in a society that is constantly 
calling us to doubt. To doubt what we know, to doubt where we stand, to, to doubt our position um, in the world at large, in Christ in particular. And then, of course, we have the added complication of our own sinful natures. We don't need the world's help to doubt. We, we, we're really able to do that pretty well all on our own. So I hope that just in this first little foray through 1 John chapter 3 and looking at this part of the, the, the tapestry that John is weaving here, to understand that we may have confidence before God that we actually stand on firm footing. I you know, I don't know what you think about the idea of life versus so-called or whatever. Um, I understand that concept and uh, appreciate it. Um, I have a couple of verses in, from uh, Psalm 40, verses 2 and 3 that uh, I kind of cling to as, uh, as uh, my life verses, if you want to call them that. But that, that he has pulled me up out of the miry clay and he set my feet on the rock and he's established my goings. That I can know that I'm not sinking anymore because of what Christ has done for me. And then that issues forth into, he's put a new song into my mouth. Um, and, and many will see that. It's, as it springs out of my heart and will fear and trust in the Lord. So it speaks to deliverance, um, equipping, and ministry all in a couple of verses there. So I, I love those I love those verses. So we've talked about this capacity to know that you can know, you can walk through this, but by what means? How does the Lord bring that about? How does he help you to know those things? And God willing, in three Sundays from now, um, on July the uh, 3rd, actually it's really appropriate because we're thinking about Independence Day and deliverance and freedom and so on and so forth. Um, just uh, having this theoretical knowledge is one thing, but the real freedom comes in all the means that the Lord gives us to actually bring it about. So that's a, you know, it'll go right along with that theme of how you actually know. And it's pretty exciting stuff as we go through this passage. So God willing, I look forward to seeing you all when we return. Appreciate your prayers for us while we go. Um, it's, uh, we're not going to be all that far away, but uh, of course, if you have any needs uh, or concerns, by all means, see the elders or the deacons. Uh, they stand ready to serve, and I'm thankful that uh, everyone's in good hands whenever I go away. That's uh, a blessing to know. So uh, with that, let's uh, close in prayer, and uh, then we'll uh, come to the Lord's table. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that we do not live in ignorance. We thank you, Father, as well, that the knowledge we have is not something that's only given to uh, a, a, a rarefied few uh, who may or may not uh, uh, give us that knowledge. But Lord, as we've seen in the prior section here from uh, this wonderful little epistle that when you teach us, um, you teach all of us. And we all have access to that revelation that you give to your people. So Lord, continue to teach us. 
uh, help us to know these things and know them with determination and zeal and gratitude. Uh, know uh, what you commanded us to do. Know of uh, the certainty of our life with you. Know that we are loved. Know that we are in the way uh, of truth and life. Uh, you alone, uh, as uh, the apostle uh, Peter said, um, that Jesus alone knew, uh, had the words of life. Lord, we we rejoice in that. And we thank you that you have not been content to distance yourself from us and hold us at arm's length, but that you abide in and with us by your spirit. Lord, help us to live in that confidence and joy. Let nothing, Lord, deter us from that, whether it's uh, the the frailty of our own hearts or the temptations of the world around us. Lord, help us to stand firm on the knowledge that we are yours and that you are ours. Thank you, Lord God, for what you will do in our hearts. Uh, keep us as we are apart now for a few weeks. I pray that you would have your hand upon our congregation. Keep us in safety and holiness, and we look forward to our reunion when uh, we return. Thank you now for the privilege that it is to come to your table, and we look forward, Lord, to being uh, recipients afresh of your grace. We pray these things in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Amen. <laughs>